Hey guys, this is Alex. Just before we get into the Sunday edition proper, I wanted to put something here to honor Zach Bertie since he was found, passed away in his apartment on the 21st of May 2020. And I grew up listening to him and on the ANCAST for years. His voice will be missed. This is for you, Zach. Everybody. My name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. This week on the episode, I want to talk about something kind of related to the episode last week, the, the Sunday episode last week, and actually definitely related to the Build Your Own Home Theater episode, and that is anime streaming apps. I want to talk about this for several different reasons. The first reason is there's a surprising amount that have risen and fallen in the time that there have been streaming apps for anime. And there have been a lot of naked displays of corporate bullshit involved with all of these apps. And I find it pretty interesting when you stop and you look at kind of how anime has become much more mainstream and with the more mainstream, its more mainstream existence, has come corporate responsibilities is what I'm gonna is the way I'm gonna phrase it. And what I mean by that is that when Crunchyroll was just its own thing, they did their own thing. But as soon as you know Time Warner and AT and T became AT and T became the parent company, so to speak, Crunchyroll starts making starts making originals you know they start to have a much 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 bigger presence they are going to be contributing select anime titles to hbo max things like full metal alchemist brotherhood things that are binge watchable in the prestige sense so to speak from anime and there's nothing wrong with that well there are some things wrong with that especially considering Crunchyroll's past and it and the issues it's had Crunchyroll is a great example Funimation less so 
Funimation is now owned by Sony, but largely what has happened to Funimation is its app has gotten some internal upgrades that allow you to do things like download episodes for later and have it has its own digital download section on I think only the website right now. Actually, I think I what I thought was the app, but with the iPad app. But Funimation, the difference there is that Funimation was purchased by Sony, and Funimation has always been the kind of company it is, if that makes any sense. So let's rewind back to Crunchyroll. Let's talk about Crunchyroll first. Crunchyroll was established in the early 2000s by UC Berkeley graduates. And if you look at the Wikipedia, and I'm going to include Wikipedia articles for all the services I'm going to talk about because that's the best way for you to get the knowledge, so to speak. I'm also going to include some helpful videos on the Crunchyroll Funimation partnership that happened for about two years from 2016 to 2018. But, um, or that's, that's a rough period of time. But the thing with Crunchyroll is if you read their Wikipedia, you get the sense that they were just, uh, like started up as just this company that was streaming all these different things and happened to have some fan subs on it. When in reality, I can tell you as a user from Crunchyroll that while they, I, Pretty sure they did have some full licensed content on their service. They were always a for-profit fan sub operation. And what I mean by fan sub operation, I mean I don't mean like they were horrible subs. They what they did was they hosted horrible subs sub content that horrible subs would translate into would translate into English subtitles on their service for a fee. I think. I think the fee was around eight bucks, because that was in the original era of the streaming net of the streaming apps where everything had to be eight bucks or it was too expensive. <laughs> oh, those lonely days! But Crunchyroll ultimately got some VC money, I believe, from Washington DC, but I'm not sure about that. But at that point, they went legit. The service emptied out for a period of time, and they went after licenses because now they had VC money, VC money, and uh, like access to a fund to funding rounds to go and go after licenses. And ultimately, that led to, and it would have been in 2016, I believe, when they crossed the one million subscriber range. That's when you start hearing more about Crunchyroll. And then ultimately, the Crunchyroll went into a partnership with Funimation. Now, I want to talk about Funimation a little bit here. Funimation was a, was, has been in existence since 1994. And Funimation has, and probably will always be, a licensing machine. It has no interest in had not no interest, but very little interest in original programming. It had its own staff to shoot talk show style stuff about what's coming out, but that's more of a PR thing than creating truly original content. And the reason that this is true is because they are from Funimation. If you have Funimation now and you've only ever known it as Funimation, the streaming app, 
Funimation is from the old guard. It is one of the few old guard licensors left. Like the Funimation, Viz, Bandai USA has been closed. Um, but the Anaplex, Anaplex is a weird thing though because their releases are super expensive and they're Japanese focused and all that stuff. Funimation and Crunchyroll went into a partnership that they called Funimation X Crunchyroll or Crunchyroll X Funimation, rather, because they were interested in keeping the licensing cost of anime down. And lo and behold, several years later, there would be the licensing of Evangelion for north of a million dollars. And that's what they were trying to avoid, and for a period of time they did do that. But then, the way that the Crunchyroll post puts it, Funimation decided to go a separate way, in a different direction, but if you read between the lines, you see that Funimation was purchased by Sony and Crunchyroll was purchased by AT&T around the same period of time. If you're curious as to why a big, big entertainment companies like now AT&T, which is a phone company, but they converted themselves into an entertainment company by buying anything they could lay their eyes on for long enough, or Sony would want in on the world of anime. I'm going to talk about Universal here for just a second. Universal, the movie studio. Universal produced a bunch of anime, notably the one I always remember because it's the first one that registered with my skull is I Want to Be the Strongest in the World, that like etchy titty wrestling anime. And the reason why they did that is because anime is one of the only consistent collector physical media markets, period. And it, it, it's, not as, it's not as drastic a period as something like porn, de- porn dictates where the, where the physical media industry will go. Like, Blu-ray was never fully adopted by porn, so nobody knew what to do with Blu-ray, really. Um, but... The reason for that is is if we as anime fans, if we as otaku, like a show, we know in the back of our head that show will disappear eventually. I need to, at some point, buy the physical edition in, in some way. Now, I've talked about before in the, um, in the last Sunday edition on the crash of the industry in the mid 2000s in the late two, mid to late 2000s that piracy is a thing certainly but it is so much easier to just go on amazon and buy a box set than it ever was before this that it is almost more trouble to pirate something in all honesty and you'll get better quality better you'll get a better experience all the way around plus you'll have the physical box that you can put on your shelf which is an important thing for lots of otaku i'm odd in that and that oftentimes if i buy a physical edition it's because i can't get it on any other way at the same quality or else i will straight up buy it on itunes or a streaming service because i want to save the space um, or I'll buy it digitally in a way that I can own the files. Usually that's my preferred method. But 
so that's the, really the reason why two big companies like AT&T and Sony would buy companies like Crunchyroll and Funimation is the niche market is now big enough and now mainstream enough where if you you want to be on the right side of something like Attack on Titan when it happens again. Funimation is minting money off of My Hero Academia. So is Crunchyroll, frankly. But they are they are selling subscriptions on that. They are selling merchandise on that. It is a party. I'm absolutely friggin' positive. In the same way that it was a party, that it is still a party for Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z is like the thing that saved, that it is the thing that saved Funimation from the nightmare scenario of every other, of all those other anime licensors when the industry crashed. I mentioned that in that episode, but it's really true. Now, at this point, I want to talk about a weird service. I want to talk about the Anime Network. The anim- and I'll be ramping up to the ultimate thing in talking about this. But the Anime Network is still stunning. A video-on-demand channel that you can add to your cable package. And it is a 24-7, all-anime, all-the-time channel. It was started by ADV. Um, at some point, Sentai Filmworks took it over. And the Anime Network was a streaming app for, like, for a long time, actually, but for a relatively short period of time compared to all these other companies. And I subscribed to the, and to give you an idea of why the Anime Network no longer offers streaming anime... (laughs) I subscribed to the Anime Network, the Anime Network streaming app as a trial when I was in, when I was just out of college. We're talking like 2010s-ish kind of thing. And then I promptly forgot about it for the 30 days I subscribed to it. And by the end I was like, I didn't watch this, so I canceled it. I checked in years later, like, oh, let's see if this is worth it now. And it was. My login worked. But here's the thing. My login worked. I could watch anything on that app. I knew that it wasn't taking anything out of my bank account because I checked. And I, I saw the cancel- they cancellation. I went on, like, on a computer back in my bank record. And I saw the cancellation. I paid nothing for that app for years. And from what I understand, the back end of that, of their streaming situation at the Anime Network, was entirely capable of just losing a subscriber in the sauce. Meaning that you could, that the ranks of paying subscribers and non-paying subscribers were all mixed together and who who knew what. So, it obviously became this like failed state experiment although it still does exist you can go to their website and they have a weird skeleton website that says we are still here but we do not offer streaming anime go to a new service called high dive 
High Dive is Sentai film, Filmworks streaming app. And it has some issues. They have a absolute crap ton of, of old and classic anime. So if you're in the market for that, it's a great, it's a, it's a really great fit. Uh, it's not as it. It has also new, usually more indie shows. Unlike it's not like a Retro Crush. Retro Crush just came out from digital media rights, and a digital media rights is a niche cult Asian entertainment licensing company that kept licensing enough anime and kept licensing enough anime and kept, kept licensing, licensing enough anime and started handling releases and all this stuff. And eventually it all coalesced, actually earlier this, like a couple months ago, into an app called Retro Crush that is fantastic. It's got all those old anime that you've seen like YouTube clips of and you're like, what the fuck is this Die Guard thing? That show's on there. I love Die Guard, so I keep mentioning it. But you, it's free. It's ad-supported. You can go check it out. It's got apps on literally everything you want to watch it on, which is great, with the exception of a browser app, although that's being tested currently. So, the High Dive, when it started, was about 3 bucks. It has it has its issues, mostly like technical glitches and stuff, but it's a really interesting idea. And it has great shows on there. It, ha it has all of, you know, it has all of some big old shows. And also Sentai Filmworks is its own little engine. It's its own, it's not, as far as I know, a section of a bigger company like Sony or AT&T, although who knows how long that lasts. So it, that was like a failure into, that was a failure into a success. Because High Dive is definitely a success. They have a great social media, like great social media presence, they have really good graphics, and they've got good shows and they keep licensing shows and it, it's a fun app. Now let's talk about Daisuke. Or Daisuke. Daisuke is, as they usually are, a bad idea from the Japanese anime industry. And the reason why I shit on the Japanese anime industry in terms of a bad idea is, is they don't they don't really do the internet well. If that makes any sense? Like the 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 production companies the Anime studios do not mix with the internet of their own accord very well. What I mean by that is, is that they, when they are licensing things out to, say, Viz, who puts all of its stuff on Hulu, to... Crunchyroll, which obviously has its own portal and own app, to Funimation, which used to have a backing of 
Hulu. I think it still might, but they hide it better. But now has its own, I'm pretty sure it has its own infrastructure. The, those streaming apps take care, are basically paying for the license and they make money because they are the, the literal dis, distributor, the digital distribution network, basically. But the anime studios will always see piracy as a problem because it will always, anime piracy will always be a problem, period, end. But they tried to make an app where they could offer a complete cohesive experience. And they did all the things that you should do, like they had an exclusive Gundam show, they aired Dragon Ball Super on it for, until after it's, until after the actual app showed, shut down, like the website was like bones, but Dragon Ball Super was still going. And they had an interesting idea of they wanted to offer anime and anime merchandise side by side. So you could go and you could watch Dragon Ball Super and you could buy Dragon Ball Super merchandise in like the same, on the same screen, basically. But it just, it was super over-designed. It was never clear where there was or wasn't an app. I like discovered the app on... I think it was Roku at the time. I was just, it was very weird. They had this weird yellow black situation going. It didn't it didn't really work out. It and so it kind of drifted off and it, it, it drifted off like a glacier in, in in into Alaska. It was it was it was bad. But it wasn't as bad as Amazon's fault foray into anime but amazon kind of failed upwards in a way and i'll get to why amazon has always had amazon prime but a few years back they attempted to do an anime add-on service to an to amazon prime and that was anime strike now here's the f the first problem is you needed to have the 100 dollars a year subscription to amazon prime it's already one paywall. And then you had, had to add another $5 a month onto that paywall to get Anime Strike. So they double paywalled off their anime, con the, the license shows they were licensing from the rest of the, anim from the viewing base. So as I, you know, paid for it, other than journalists, most people did not pay for Anime Strike. It was a resounding failure. <laughs> and it, what Amazon did was they had a, there was also a Bollywood, like Bollywood Revolution or something service that launched alongside Anime Strike. Go figure. And those two services got shut down and they like restructured their streaming ideas. And one of the things they came up with was a really interesting approach to their anime licensing thing, and, and it's, still, it's still happening. They went to, they took a look at the field of anime, and they looked at where the really interesting shows were coming out of. And they identified that what they wanted to go after was the Noitamina 
programming block. And if you've ever seen Noitamina at the beginning of a show, say Paradise Kiss, um, is a is a old example. Um, Hunting Clover is another example. Noitamina isn't a studio; it's a programming block, and it's reserved for more experimental, more adult, more seinen, to use the like comic the manga term properties to give you an idea of what a uh, more seinen property would look like. That can be anything from something like Psychopath to something like um, Paradise Kiss, actually, is a really great example. Example, But, so they license, they license that block, and now every Noitamina show, until they choose to let their license expire because they can keep paying for it, trust me, it's Amazon, goes to Amazon. But because they don't have, but because they still have that major paywall of a hundred dollars a year, people don't watch the stuff on the same cycle. People didn't watch that. Um, there's a bunch of things that have been really, really like critically, critical, critical editorial successes that nobody watches because they don't have Amazon Prime. And even if you do have Amazon Prime. When you have Amazon Prime, the reason you get it is because you want to get your figures in two days, or you want to get, like, video game equipment in two days, or whatever it is, in two days. Although, considering the world, way the world is right now, it's more like, do you want this next week or next week and a half? Um, but, they... So those shows still are still kind of hidden because nobody thinks about... Amazon Video as a thing, as Amazon Prime Video as like a place to go find anime, and their their discovery abil- their discoverability in that service is awful. The the search for Amazon Video is awful, so that's still a huge problem for them. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is kind of where we go from here because Crunchyroll has its first has its first like original property out and that's and that's um Tower of God which is based on a Korean manhwa on a Korean webcomic from I think um that Korean comic service I forget what it's called um but the I think it's Line Tune. No, it's not Line Tune. It's something like that. But, so, I mentioned before that the problem with Crunchyroll is that they are, they are, it feels pretty clear to me that they are under pressure to produce content. And on the flip side of the coin, the other, like, half of that, like, that level of streaming app where they're a huge licensor and a huge streaming platform, Funimation, which probably doesn't have the same no, it might have the same number as Crunchyroll. Now that I think about it, I'm not entirely sure, but Funimation has always been happy, and Sony has been happy keeping it as a um licensing operation primarily, and 
I think probably part of the reason for that is that they went out and they like they went out and they tried to help produce an anime. They found the property, they took it, they put together the production committee, they brought that property to them, and they had it produced as a Funimation like original anime. And that show is Dimension W. Dimension W is a middling show, middling to bad show. I talked about it in my, actually two episodes ago on the Sunday edition about good shows with good characters and bad shows, but I've also done a full episode on that in the feed you can go find. But based on the fact that that really didn't do the numbers, they felt like it should have based on the, based on everything that they put into it. They just kind of kept on doing their licensing thing. Crunchyroll, however, is owned by AT&T. It is part of this big HBO Max initiative thing. And they are producing... At the very least, they have pro- they've, they've produced... Um, Tower of God and High Guardian Spice. High Guardian Spice, we saw trailers and you know, demo reel footage from, which was very badly received. <laughs> but it hasn't come out yet. And part of the reason that High Guardian Spice was badly received was actually because it's not an anime property. It's a, like, Cartoon Network slash being Puppycat-esque thing that just exists out in the world. It doesn't... It looks inspired by anime. It does not look like anime. And I'm not saying that it couldn't be. I mean, you look at something like Panty and Stocking, and that was produced in Japan by Trigger, and it's very clearly like, what if we made the fucked up version of the Powerpuff Girls with only two of them, or all three of them, only like Buttercup is a big black dude in a BDSM. And that show's great, but it Crunchyroll has done such a specific job of catering to anime fans that to make something that is very much in the vein of something like um, Steven Universe, or like I said, being Puppycat, or Bravest Warriors, all these, like, kind of soft, bubbly-looking cartoons with slight edge. I, It just doesn't... It doesn't fit. I think that, uh, from what I can imagine, Tower of God is probably doing quite well. And Tower of God fits a lot better. The mold, I think, will be successful for them. I don't see I don't see a website like High Dive trying to do a super a, like a original production. I I just don't think they're super interested in that currently. I don't think and I'm pretty positive that um Funimation 
is just interested in being a licensing behemoth because that's clearly where it makes most of its freaking money is from the massive amount of anime licenses that it holds the rights to. And... I think that... Amazon has... It has an interest in being in the conversation, but I don't... I know that it's not helping itself out because it doesn't... It touts shows when it thinks shows are prestigious and thinks shows will win a lot of awards. It doesn't have any feel of... opinion on its shows. If you go, if you go on Twitter right now and you ask... A somebody who works for Crunchyroll, what's your favorite show this season? They have real opinions. And they have opinions that you may or may not share. I mean, you can find Miles on Twitter. He's got his own weird little like list of things nobody's seen and he loves. It, with, with Netflix, which is the elephant in the room in this conversation, Netflix picks things that it thinks are bingeable and are specific and usually pretty high quality, even if it's CGI. With, uh, actually, unless it's CGI, they fund a lot of CGI garbage. A lot of CGI garbage. But they, their big problem is that they fuck up the simulcast standard for the, for the anime streaming industry because they are only interested in releasing everything at once. So Americans, specifically Americans, can binge that stuff. Because oftentimes, the way they're making their deals, the stuff they license is not... It is basically, in their deal, it's required that they allow the stuff they license to air on Japanese television. Or they air it episode by episode themselves on the Netflix app. In the region of Japan. So. I mean. I, I think. I don't think Netflix is interested. In what the rest of the streaming industry is doing. But I think that they. If they want to. Have their shows blow up in America. Better. Then they need to get. Get with the program. And they need to do new weekly episodes, which they have started doing, but still not for anime. And they need to stop. They need to stop doing things like they clearly do in the new Ghost in the Shell anime, in Ghost in the Shell 2045. They need to stop cutting things off the knees just so there can be a second season. Because... The way that Netflix licenses things is it's guaranteed to have two seasons because you need to get you need to have somebody you need to have something for somebody to sign up for and something for somebody to stay for. So if you say, "Hey, sign up for Orange is the New Black season one," they get to the end of season one. There's a potential that they will cancel, but if they say season two coming next year. And, or the viewer knows that implicitly, then either they will freeze the subscription or not cancel at all. 
And by that second year, you'll just have them. And that makes it so if you are a team like the Ghost in the Shell standalone team that makes these stories that are entirely contained in 24 episode seasons and you want something that will show and there's lots of fucked up things about the so I just in in conclusion I think that we're gonna see some major changes anime is gonna get way bigger because it, it it everybody knows what anime is now but not everybody watches it so I think there's a lot of room to grow. I think that Crunchyroll's curation deal with HBO Max will introduce tons of people to things like Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, things like Hunter x Hunter, which is going to the service at some point. All these great properties that are the reason people get into anime and are things and have commonalities with things like Game of Thrones, things like The Sopranos, things like all these different very popular HBO shows that make people into super fans of those shows. And they go looking for something and they can't find it. What if somebody who loves The Sopranos saw 91 Days on HBO Max? That would be a one-to-one perfect thing for them. And then they would take a look at anime as a serious thing they could go watch. So, that's just... I had these thoughts and I wanted to get them out in the world. But if you like this podcast, this is the Sunday edition. There is a regular edition every Thursday night, Friday morning that you can look forward to this week if you are a subscriber. If you are not a subscriber, you can subscribe in the very app you're using to listen to me right now. And I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio's Sunday edition. And I will talk to you on Thursday.